Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, a series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters who are shaping the electronic music landscape. My name's Ryan Keeling and I'm the editor at Resident Advisor. Dinky has a new album coming out in the summer and given its context, it should prove to be one of the more ambitious records released this year. For the last three years, Dinky has shifted focus away from producing house music and instead turned her attention to singing and songwriting. In many respects, this has meant starting again from scratch. Alongside her husband and co-producer Matthew Stiles, the pair had to learn a fresh set of skills required for a more pop-focused approach. It's an impressive challenge to undertake when you consider that Dinky has been engaged with electronic music since the early 90s. Back in her home country of Chile, she got to know artists like Ricardo Villalobos, Luciano and Dandy Jack, who were then setting up roots in Germany and absorbing the country's techno scene. Like many Chilean producers, Dinky eventually wound up in Berlin, and it was there that we met up earlier this month to discuss her two decades in dance music. So you have a new album about to come out. <laughs> yes, finally. In June, some yeah. Vision Quest. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if you could start by telling us um, what you set out to do with this record that was perhaps different to what had come before. Uh, I always wanted to songwrite before uh, I was doing tracks and things like that. And I did find it a little bit hard just to like go on and songwrite. And I think with this album I wanted to take my music to a different level and uh, use my voice, sing and songwrite and play instruments but at the same time don't lose my electronic music roots or my dance roots as well so that was that was the, the, the change I wanted to do it's not really a, a huge change because I still have my sound but the big change is the performing aspect which I am singing and I'm playing lots of things, guitar, and in an unconventional way, and keys as well. And also the songwriting aspect, which somehow I had to uh, study it a little bit and kind of know the rules to break them. I I don't have so many rules of songwriting in my album. They're not very cliche or not very traditional, but I wanted to know the rules and then see if I should use them or not. (laughs) That's it. I feel like um, 
because we spoke in 2009 for a Machine Love feature mm-hmm. and you just released an album at that time and you were saying that you were very pleased with the album but you'd maybe necessarily not um, gone further enough in this direction that maybe you wanted to take this thing further. Exactly. Um, has this been something that's, um, or a direction you've been looking to take for, for a long time in that case? Yes, yes, definitely for a long time but I didn't feel ready and I didn't feel experience enough as a performer because if I was going to perform the album as a singer I thought well I have to perform in front of people and everything and uh, I wasn't I wasn't really ready for it I need I needed a little bit of experience and I'm kind of a shy person like in in life so I just didn't trust myself I could do it in a way until I went out there and did it in front of people and uh, I felt fine you know I wasn't so sure if it was going to be okay and I had to kind of be sure about myself first and share it with other people and stuff. But uh, there were a lot of things, not only the performance aspect, but also the, the technical abilities of like songwriting and playing guitar and things like that. So in the, in the first instance, how does a house music producer or someone with a house music background sit down to write a pop record? <laughs> like, what was the starting point for you? Um, the starting point, to be honest, it's very important to listen to our music, to listen to to a lot of records, and I mean, I I listen to a lot of jazz because I don't like so much like the word pop. It's kind of sometimes misunderstood. People say, "Ah, it's pop, it's bad." No, pop is popular, but or with vocals. I did listen to a lot of jazz and a lot of soul and blues and things like that, apart from pop or alternative pop. And I copied at the beginning, just make covers and just sung things and and understood how things worked and how the songs were structured and how the melody lines were done. And I think that was the starting point, basically, just uh, just listening and uh, making covers of records and like as I did with with the other album, which was a massive star cover. That's exactly what I start how I started to to understand that kind of. Uh, structure. I mean, do you feel like you've almost had to slowly change your mentality in the way you think about yourself as a producer or a musician? A little bit, but I still wanted to be honest as a artist and don't, you know, like be myself. But I, I had to, I had to be a bit of an actress in every song, and like because I also didn't want to sound the same on every song. Uh, a lot of uh, singers in the album, they sound the same, like exactly, and then the voice is very particular. But I wanted to be a little bit different as an interpreter in every song. So I had I had to like be an actress a little bit in every song. For example, one song is a little bit moody and the other one is has, it's more sassy. And for that, you need to interpret. So you need to you need to change a little bit your personality or the personality you're showing to the people. But at the same time, be honest. That's good. That's actually something I noticed in the record. That the the mood of your the voice was definitely changing and fluctuating throughout the record. Were there things in you could do um, with the production also that would um, go towards this? With the production, I mean Matthew helped me a lot. You know, we never did record. We never recorded uh, vocals in a professional way before. We did. I did lots of vocals before, but in a very like a loose way and without technique and things like that. But this time he has he had to be more professional. We wanted to achieve a clear sound and a natural sound and expensive sound, how people can call it. 
So we experimented a lot and sometimes we recorded 10 times the vocals <laughs> because we messed up with recordings or I didn't have a strong voice and a year later I had a, bit, um, a stronger voice and things like that. So it was the length of what took me to do the album or what took us to do the album had a lot to do with inex we, we were inexperienced. We didn't have so much experience and we needed to learn. It was a learning process. And um, how is the process broken down uh, between the two of you? Like, what is Matthew's role? Well, basically, um, I wrote the songs with like very basic elements at the beginning. And um, I would go to Matthew and show it to him and he would tell me what he thinks and what could be improved or what didn't work. And then I'll go back, kind of rearrange things, as he said, or if I thought he was right, and produce the song roughly, and then we will go back to it and produce it again, let's say, like that. Uh, sometimes I would change absolutely everything, just keep the vocal. And Some songs were written on guitar. We put, like, I mean, I put the bass, and then Matthew helped me with some modular sounds and things like that. And I did record half of the vocals myself, but half of the vocals we went and re-recorded in a very special way with a big microphone. And Ma uh, Matthew was in the control room and I was singing in the other room. And that was a great experience for me because I didn't have to go run around and adjust levels. And he would just be talking to me on the headphones and saying how to improve my performance. <laughs> Can you tell us how you're um, planning to uh, perform the album? What's the, uh, what's the live um, set up going to look like? Um, sure, I'm going to do it with Matthew because it's a lot to do by myself and it will be really nice to do it with him. He's no, he knows the material very, very well. So we're going to do, he's going to do electronics, drums and mixing at live at the same time, everything and looping and effects. And I'm going to do my singing, of course, guitar, but in an unconventional way when when I say guitar, some people think oh, it's going to be like that, that, like rock. No, no, not at all. It has lots of pedals and effects, and it becomes a bit like a synth, the guitar, in a way, like a, like an like an instrument, a different instrument, and some keys I'm going to do as well. Ideally, we wanted to do it exactly like the album, but since the album's not so clubby, and we're very involved with the clubs, scene, a lot of clubs need us to make a little bit more of a dance version of it. So we're going to do two versions: one totally concert as a that could be performed as a concert and the other one that could be a bit more dance too and more beat oriented were you ever um apprehensive of taking on the project together because you've, you've been married about a year now haven't you yeah this but... one is a, a kind of newly married couple whether you maybe you're nervous about um, working together in such close quarters yeah it, it was it was hard i mean the beginning was was fine and then when we started getting offers from labels and trying to make decisions we had some discussions we don't fight. we're not a couple that we fight so we had some discussions and it, it, it got a little bit stressy at one point and then I would go back and I said okay let me work alone on this and then we would reunite again and do it again together but at the same time it was a good experience for us and it made us stronger but of course there were conflicts there were tears <laughs> There were a little bit of fights and we're not used to that. And it made us really strong as a couple. Yeah, I mean, it must be hard to detach yourself from the project. Did it ever come to the point where like, okay, we need to stop talking about this now? And not, No, but it came to the point that 
that maybe I said, maybe I should do it by myself. <laughs> and then I realized I was totally wrong, you know. But no, we, we're fine. We, we realize this. We realize that we have to separate things sometimes. Uh, what's your personal journey been like uh, moving towards uh, becoming a performer, really, and um, feeling comfortable with, your, with the sound of your own voice and getting used to the idea of uh, being in front of people in this way? Yeah, um, yeah, this was a, a big question for me because it was sort of an accident when I started m using my voice and a lot of people started telling me I should do it more and then I went to lessons and my teachers were like, yeah, you're good and you, you should do it, you should do this. I remember once once a teacher told me, you should do this for a living. She just said that. She was a professional singer and I was, okay, you know, I didn't know if, if I could do it I, I wasn't sure I know it's, it's really hard you know it's really hard to be in front of people and sing it's really hard so what I did I said I was nervous at the beginning and because I knew I had to do it just like from nothing to be a performer so what I I had the idea to start singing while I was DJing to see so you hadn't hadn't done any singing until recently no I, I started to sing in October Okay. Like in front of people. Of course, I did. Oh, okay. I did some singing uh, with workshops and like people that are on the same boat as me, singing in front of ten people to criticize each other on my lessons, things like this. But no, I didn't do any shows before. <laughs> so I started singing while I was DJing, and and this this was a very very big help. I think uh, it, it really relaxed me, and and I was okay. I'm gonna be okay because it's really hard to sing while you're DJing. It's even harder to sing. While you're DJing, that while you're just make, uh, doing your own song, uh, performing your own song, because it's so loud and your vocals don't come through the monitors, so you have, yeah, you have to have a really good ear to, to catch the pitch right if the vocals coming from the big speakers, you know. Are you sampling your voice as well? Or are you using like sample manipulation and stuff? I'm doing I'm doing a little bit of looping, but not so much. Just the harmonies and things like that, and improv, a lot of improvisation. Um, how difficult has it been switching between these two quite different modes? I mean, if you've been um, training and singing and studying jazz and such like during the week, has it been difficult to switch into nightclub mode come come the weekend? Well, I, it's no, it's not so difficult. I mean, I've been doing this night thing since I'm so young that it's very normal for me. <laughs> it's two different words. But it's at the same time it's music, so it's not so it's not difficult, no. So I'd read that um, you were maybe in a, a bit of a strained place with DJing a few years back, and you were maybe considering like uh -huh. placing it to a back seat or or stopping to concentrate on. I always have those things. <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone, so, everyone yeah, I sure. talk of my colleagues have the same problems. I think we always have crises, and I always say, oh, maybe I should quit. <laughs> I'm really tired and. Uh, DJing is fun. DJing is really fun, but it takes a toll on on your health and uh, yeah, flying, not sleeping, things like that. Uh, at a certain age, <laughs> can get a little bit tiring. But um, are you someone who travels well? I don't like traveling alone. I I can deal traveling with with other people, and it's just too lonely. It's just it's a cliche, you know. But it's it's. Uh, you get bored. You get bored. You're in the hotel. What am I gonna do? There's not always not not everything works out, and uh, 
I always think like also people in the club, they're there to have a good time and you have to give them a good time. And sometimes you're like tired and you're, and you have problems of personal lives or whatever. And, and, and you, you, it's hard, you know, it's hard to like, um, put on the happy mask and give them that and, uh, or like waking up really at 2am and going to the club. Sometimes you're really tired, but, um, it's the best job you can get almost so <laughs> no complaints <laughs> this is definitely an acting aspect of it yeah you'd also said that perhaps as as the years have gone on with your djing you've been become less of a party person you almost need to um detach yourself sometimes from what's going on around you yeah that that's that's a difficult aspect because uh, you can't really get so involved if you're not partying as everyone else but uh, if you're honest and you're just giving the love of, of your music and DJing and giving people what they want and what you want, it's fine. It's fine. I mean, I, I have a drink or two. Sometimes I get a little bit drunk. Sometimes I don't drink. Uh, there's no rules. No, You can do it without it. You can do it with. But I, I, I choose to, to be a bit more, more pure when I perform. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so one of your main gigs has been um, Panorama Bar, um, which has been since 2004, was it? Mm -hmm. You became resident? Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask, um, are there kind of characteristics of your DJing or perhaps your personality that have kind of made this a good fit for the club? I think so. I mean, I'm not like a Osgood per se, totally person. Like, uh, I mean, I've done records for them and I'm not in the roster or like... A, like not so super identify with the Osgood sound, but they have me sort of like as a resident guest, uh, as a family, because I think uh, maybe because I have my own sound, I guess, and I don't follow so many things. Like, uh, yeah, I don't belong to any group or I guess maybe they like them. I haven't asked, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but they keep me there and they're, and they're very nice. And I'm easy going. I'm an easy going person. I, uh, if they want me to play at 12, or I play at 12. If they want me to close, I, I close. If they want me to play for six hours, I do it. You know, it's because I'm, I have a pleasure for me because everyone is very nice and uh, fair and uh, yeah, it's like a family. So yeah i mean i was interested in um how it's been uh to be a part of that group in something that i guess is going to be seen as um almost defining of this era is this something that you would kind of talk about with people at the club or other residents is there like a, a sense of what's going on and being a part of something that's um that's felt very very important i thought about that but i don't know we never really talk about that we're living too much in the present to realize what's going to happen in the future, I think. Uh, but I, I want, one day I really crossed my mind. I was thinking about Paradise Garage and, and how and we were talking with Matthew, I think, and how important is now the, the name and the, the history. And I said, well, maybe Panorama Bar will be a little bit like that too, but in a more modern way, in different music, because it's so strong in terms of like the door and like the music and what's happening inside. The difference is that there's never going to be a video of it inside or th or a film, maybe. But it could happen, yeah. It's very important, I think. It's a very important institutional club. Because um, you'd, one of your, I guess it was one of your first trips to Europe, you'd visited what would have been classed as the old um, Berlin institutions and Tresor and Evoque. Yeah. Um, how did they compare 
to, to what was going on. It was great. It was amazing. I mean, I was 19, so I was really young. But uh, I was showed this world by my sister, and she knew, and she knew everyone. And we went to the Eberg and everything. It was the same. It was the same. It was like very crazy and very free. It looked like it looked like Bergheim now, but mm. maybe a little bit. Yeah, the music was just a little bit different, but it was it was the same. I mean, how did you process that culturally as a as a nineteen year old? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing you hadn't seen anything like that before. First, it, I I never went to Europe. I was like coming direct from Chile, like sort of like a little bit of a countryside girl. But I mean. I'm from a capital, but still Chile is very far and very much behind in Europe at that time. So it was crazy for me. It was like, wow, I didn't want to get out of the club. I think we stayed 24 hours inside with my other sister. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. I th that that was the day I decided I wanted to DJ as well. And I mean, I, I, w I was already collecting records and I knew how to mix, but I wanted to do it. Like, it inspired me for sure. Yeah, I mean, it, were you already warmed up to the kind of idea of club culture? Did you have a sort of view in your mind's eye of of what um, what the scene looked like? A little bit because um, because of Ricardo and Mar uh, Dandy Jack and everyone was coming to Chile every summer before that, like a year before that, I think, or two, and they were doing the party. So, but they were doing it in a different environment, which was the Chilean environment. But yeah, I did have a taste before that, but no, I didn't never saw a club like Iverk or Tres. Or I mean, Iverk was. Very, very impressive, I have to say. And what was the Chilean environment that you talking about? They were like, I mean, what like did the scene look like? Small clubs or maybe mid-sized clubs, but not like more conservative. You know, not so no transvestites. There were no trannies or no like people dressed differently or like gay people. There were gay people, but they were not publicly shown. They were like my friends, you know, like. But it was it was not so crazy, not so like Pinterest maybe. <laughs> like so it was it was just more like yeah, more more conservative, let's say. So this the, the group of Chilean artists you mentioned at the time, they were based in the country? No, they weren't actually. They were coming just on the summers, winters here. Let's say January here is summer in Chile, so they were just coming and they were organizing parties and raves and and events and things like that and yeah that's how we we i got to meet them actually yeah and was there ever a sense that maybe what was going on in europe could be achieved in a similar way in chile there was but it sort of stopped it was weird it was really strong at one point but because no one stayed there in chile we have like it's a bit sad because there's good artists but they all feel like they have to leave the country to make it out, but to, to be able to live from your art, it's hard in, in Chile, either, unless you're like a folk or a pop artist, which is also pretty hard because you have to be the only one. <laughs> uh, so they, yeah, people don't stay there. So like like the artists or the, the organizers, they, they just leave. Which so is it, what you did yourself, I guess. Exactly, because you were, yeah. um, you were involved in dancing and you were a dancer for a long time. Yes. Was that something that started in childhood? Yes, exactly, in Chile. And then, yeah, I wanted to go to this special school that I really liked because I was studying the Graham technique, which is uh, modern. I mean, semi-modern. It started in the 60s. Dance, and I wanted to go to New York to Martha Graham School. and Because in Chile, I was never going to be able to study that technique or to see what what was going in the real dance world. It was very, it's very hard to be a dancer in Chile. My sister is still a dancer, and, and it's pretty tough for her and for her company to survive. 
what were your aspirations as a dancer? Were you, did you have a, a goal or a, or a dream, if you like? The thing is that since I started so young, it was sort maybe a little bit too young to be more realistic about what I wanted. So I continued like until I was 25 or something. But I wanted to be a choreographer. I wanted to... My idea was like to make really modern choreography, a bit visual, like almost like theater. That was that was my dream, but I, it kind of faded away when I... I mean, I discovered music before, but I, I had to choose and I thought music was stronger for me than that, than dance. Which is something that kind of manifests itself very strongly when you got to New York, I guess. Yeah. Is this when you started to DJ in a more serious way? Well, the thing is that... Um, I don't know. I think my passion for music grew much stronger than dance in a way. And I saw also the practical side of dancing was, it's really, really a tough career, but you, it's also very short, you know, because of the physical, I mean, I, <laughs> I cannot tell you how many injuries I have still. So like at 25, 24, you're already pretty in pain. Everyone. I don't know any dancer that doesn't have problems. So I also started to think about that. But also I wanted to make music and going out at night, it didn't really fit at all with the training of my dance. Uh, going out, DJing and stuff. In dance you have to be... There's, there's crazy dancers that make drugs and like drink and stuff, but if you want to achieve something, you have to be trained six hours a day in the morning and go to sleep early and stuff like that. <laughs> so it doesn't really... It's like the opposite, you know, so... And did DJing kind of um, fill the the gap, if you like, your kind of need for expression and performance and being in the spotlight? I don't know if I was wanted to be in the spotlight. I, I, as I said, I wanted I almost kind of be kind of shy, and I was kind of glad that DJing it wasn't so much of being in the spotlight at that time. Now it's a different thing because you can be really you can take a step back as a DJ. You don't have to be so much in the spotlight. Now it's changed, you know, like DJing is so important in these times. But at that time, the DJ was someone who was making people dance and sometimes it was in a covered booth. <laughs> you didn't even see the DJ sometimes in the 90s. I don't know, but it was, it was yeah, you, you're right, it took over the expression. I wanted to express myself as a DJ. But as a musician too, I started making music at the same time. And that was very strong for me, always. It's, it's been very, like DJing came, so it's like sort of secondary to that to the aspects of composing. And it, it would have been uh, New York when you started taking producing more seriously. Yes. Uh, well, I started when I arrived, basically. I bought a machine with my savings. I was an MPC and I started uh, learning how to use, by, with help, of course. I went to a professional studio. I have a very good friend of mine. He's a pop star in Chile and he was the one who took me to a professional studio and we make a song together sort of he wanted to show me and he thought I had something to say and that's the first time I saw a professional studio I mean I'm talking a really big studio with like the Grammys on the on the wall and I was like wow this is great I fell in love with that kind of world with like recording and studios and bands and making music and big desks and but at that time, it was hard to, to get in the equipment. <laughs> so I had just one machine and I did everything with that. Uh, what were you trying to say at that time as a producer or an artist? I was quite avant-garde, actually. I just I just wanted to express myself. I didn't have any plans. Uh, with the little equipment I had, I had to say something quite deep and melancholic, probably it was. But I couldn't really do much because... 
the limitations I had. So it was interesting. I think limitations are really good somehow because I could make. I did an album when I was only twenty-two with this machine, and and it came out and everything. Because you were quite quickly signed to a, a label, weren't you? Yeah, like in six months or something. And you'd produce an album not long after. I mean, have, you, have you kind of always felt um, about yourself as as being a, an album artist? Yeah, I I love albums. I think it's it's my preferred also way of listening to things. I think they can tell a story and they can remind you of years and times and persons and. It's it's a, it's a bit sad that it's kind of dying the format, you know. Like people can choose to buy things here and there. It's it's okay. I mean, uh, we have to evolve, but uh, I really like the format. And when it's well achieved, it's it's so well achieved. Mm. I mean, can you look back on your own albums as kind of signposts for what was going on in your life at the time? I mean, do you have very specific memories associated with all of them? I don't listen to them. <laughs> really? No. It's I don't know why I don't listen to them at all. Uh, it's it's hard to listen to them because it does remind you of bad things and good things. And uh, yeah, I prefer not to listen to them. I don't know why. Uh, maybe I should. <laughs> as, as soon as they're released, is that is that the cutoff point for you? Yeah. When the record comes out. Yeah. With this one, it's different. With this one, I, it makes me want to listen to it sometimes again. And of course, I have to perform it, so I have to listen to it a lot. But with the singing, it's more like communication. But the other ones are very instrumental. And I also started being very critical about them. Like, oh, it sounds terrible, or like it's so much bass, or so lo-fi, or I should have done this. I start being a little bit critical with them if I listen to it. I cannot get out of my critical side. I'm quite critical with myself. And I think this album, I worked so hard on it, and I don't think I could have made it better in a way. It came to a point that I was like, that, that's it. So I could listen to it because I'm more proud of it, maybe. Yeah, I understand. Um, I just wanted to uh, dwell on the New York uh, period for a moment. Is everything that I had, um, well, the several biographies of yours that I'd read had kind of made it quite evident that um, if you found it difficult at the time with DJing. I just wonder if you could talk a little bit about your experiences and why it was so tough to be involved in dance music in the city at that time. Well, there was not too many opportunities for a young girl also. I mean, it was rare to be a female as well. Uh, which is a plus in a way because people are like uh, people get interested if there's a female there were not many um, it wasn't hard because I was a female definitely not uh, it was just because there was no venues and there were no and it was in a in a scene where there's no venue there's like a few venues and it's already taken by bigger DJs to make a spot for a new one it's very tough because they're going to protect their territory we are humans, you know, we protect our territories. So it was hard to get in the scene as a DJ. Of course, I went out, there were my friends, a lot of people, but to give you that space to perform, it was hard. So we were performing in bars and little little spots like that. So I was used, I, I was performing a lot, but in little, little places. So it was tough to like really expose yourself to a bigger audience on a nice sound system. And you uh, put on a party with Magda around that time, is that is that? Yeah, that was a little late. That was like 2001 or something. Was, no, 2000 maybe, yeah. It was a little bit later after I was there for a while already. Yeah, this was really cool, actually. This was working. Uh, yeah, that's the thing. You had to put on your own party to make it work. And in New York, it's not so easy because of the space. It's expensive, neighbors, everything is cramped. And yeah. What was the sound you guys were interested in at the time? At that time, I think... 
Well, at that time I was like, I, I think I did acid in my fridge, so that was kind of the sound. Like it was like Michael Meyer, like speaker that song, or like I remember that song. There was a little bit of electro going on, uh, a lot of uh, used to skunk hair, things like that. <laughs> yeah, like in between electro and minimal, uh, like, and also metro area. Yeah, lots of German influence. Lots of German, lots of compacts, yeah. Yeah, and you were eventually forced to leave the US, that's right, that was due to the kind of visa complications post yeah. post 9-11. Exactly, yeah. But it was sort of like a mess up from my lawyer too. I I don't have like any like bad feelings, like, oh, they kicked yeah. me out. A lot of people made it see that they kicked me out, like the press, because like there was something on the Village Voice that was really exaggerated and it was not true. Uh, I had to leave because my visa wasn't renewed, basically, because of a mess up of my lawyer. But it was if I didn't leave, if I stayed, I was going to be deported. So I decided to leave. Yeah. But it wasn't like, uh, oh, you have to leave now. You're deported. In a plane with like handcuffs. No, it wasn't so hard. And it was good. It was good for me. It was hard to leave very fast, but it was it was it was the best thing. Uh, Did Berlin feel like the natural next choice or step for you? Yeah, because my friends were there, basically. I had lots of friends, and um, I didn't want to go to a country I didn't know anyone. And I thought Berlin was exciting since the last time I was there. I, w- I already had tour there, briefly. My first tour was there, and I knew people, and I, th- I found it really fascinating. So, Yeah, I mean, it must have been in line with kind of music interests, or the music that you were pursuing. Exactly, yeah. And I had work offers, agency-wise, so... And at that time, Berlin wasn't like the hype thing. So, um, but it came. It happened really fast when the, the city becomes became so popular really fast. So it was sort of exciting. <laughs> I mean, what were your experiences like in the in the middle of what you'd say would be the minimal hype storm? But I mean, do you look back on this on this as time as kind of maybe a a high point for Berlin? Was it? Yeah, know, like two thousand three and. I don't know. I was so involved with everyone and so in the middle of that. And it was so crazy times as well. So par- so many parties, so many DJs. It was great. It was really, really positive. Yeah. A lot of people look back and say, oh, it's not like, but it's never going to be like that, of course. But it was really, really nice. I mean, what's your view on it? Have you seen pretty substantial changes since you've been here? Yeah, well, gentrification, definitely. Definitely. And... Uh, but it doesn't bother me. It doesn't really. Maybe it doesn't bother me because I'm not a Berliner. I'm 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 a foreign too. So for me it's okay. But it, it, gentrification and um, it just everything becomes more popular and more big and like property goes up and clubs become more famous. And before we were more free, let's say, like to do everything we wanted to do and to make illegal parties here and there and we're crazy illegal parties in like a strange building. Now I haven't seen that, but maybe I'm not in touch with that either. I'm not sure if it happens. But it's like, it reminds me a little bit more of New York now, but in a much more free way. Like, What do you mean specifically? Um, in terms of like, there's a lot of like artists from, like New York at one point, it's like every artist would come to New York and like musicians as well. I mean, it was, I'm talking about the 90s and 2000 and everything changed, but uh like everyone wants to come to berlin because it's sort of like the place to be for artists for music for design for painting and stuff like that 
And do you think you're, personally speaking, your outlook on things and your kind of approach to music and composition has changed a great deal since you've been in the city? Yeah, I think I think the fact that to be also involved with other people, like in the same studios and like learn from them as well, how they work and what they do and what they buy and what they like has changed uh, in my also in my before in, in New York I was a bit isolated I didn't have so many friends that had studios or we were all kind of poor and <laughs> young and now well, it, it's important for us to see how other people work and to collaborate with them yeah because you've been in the, the same building as um, several other producers over the last well kind of recent past I guess exactly as, the, yeah. as those types of communities been very important in your development as a musician and producer yeah I mean we're we are in a building with Tobias Max Lauterbauer Matthew Johnson and a very important person for us which was uh, Ingo and Paul Lemp which own a indie studio which they have recorded bands and like like Jamie Liddell and they taught us a lot. That they're they're been quite important for us in terms of uh, how we recorded the album and everything. So, but also Tobias and we all from studio to studio we learn things to each other. Um, sometimes you know they they record me they they uh, help me to set up my levels things like that. So that's really important. It's, it's incredible. I think. Is yeah. it, I guess someone like Tobias has experience in the in the fields of uh, music that you've been moving towards. Definitely, he's been also very important as well because he gives us advice. Like, I mean, vocals are really hard to to treat and to ma to make right to to record right. So he's been really helpful with that as well to give us advice. And what he hears, we don't hear. <laughs> he has really golden ears. It's true. <laughs> And can you see yourself uh, pushing further into this singer-songwriter direction? Yeah, that's what I want. I mean, that that's that 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 will be really nice. But I also, I'm also a realistic person. If it doesn't work, I'm also not. I'm not going to be upset, or I, I'm just going to give it a try and uh, see what happens. And uh, I would like to write for other people as well, not only for myself. Uh, I I think. Uh, it's it, it, like songs are so cool, you know, like to make a good song. It's when it's a good song, it's such a such a cool thing. It's such a task. And it's like it touches so many people in different way. It has different meanings for different people. So it's a nice I think it's a nice profession to be a songwriter. <laughs> I mean, you must be feeling a maybe a different kind of nervousness before this album comes out, because I, I guess it has been quite a stylistic leap for you. Mm. Maybe, uh, you know, a feeling of um exposed being exposed somehow i mean you're putting yourself out there more than than ever before yeah i'm not so i mean i'm nervous of course as normal nervous but i'm i think i chose to be quite honest with it and there's nothing to be ashamed and i think this is it's very essential to you know i'm not gonna be like oh my god oh no i'm really 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 proud of it and uh because also I did it with my husband and we did it really honest. It's, really, it's a really honest album. It has humor as well and, and everything, but it's a really honest project. So I, I don't feel like that so much. I, uh, I think I, I'm just being an artist. So if people say, of course, people are going to say bad things. They're going to say good things. They're going to say horrible things. But I'm so used to it that it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs>
<laughs> you have to have quite hard skin to be an artist. Uh, but people are always going to slag you off, especially now with the internet. So it's better not to read anything. <laughs>